we're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. That's with us in person. I love you guys. And thank you to everybody worshiping with us online. I'm always encouraged to know that you're there. So let us know you're there. A little like lets us know you're there. A little comment. Those comments uh, really help me. I love them. All right. We're in the third week of our sermon series. It is called mid Winter. All right, just break it down very quickly for you. We're using winter as a metaphor for the condition of the world at the first Christmas. All right? Winter is dark. It is cold. It is a lifeless time. It is difficult. And it is lonely. And Christ came to a world just like that. Christ came to a world mid-winter. The Christmas story reveals how God responds to a world that is midwinter. And now you can apply that to your life. The Christmas story reveals how God will respond to us when we are midwinter. Let's turn to Isaiah 9 and 6. This is our scripture memory verse for this month. This is one to hide in your heart. Let's read it out loud together. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In week one, we talked about the Wonderful Counselor. Last week, we talked about the Mighty God. Who wants to guess what we're talking about this week? This week, I want to talk to you about the Everlasting Father who came to us midwinter, the child born. The scripture says, the son given will be called everlasting father. So what's this all about? Do we really understand that? People, people actually argue about this particular phrase in the whole verse quite a bit. Let's just break it down. Let's really understand it together. Fathers are important. Is that true? It is true. Don't believe someone who tells you any different. Fathers matter. In fact, the world really needs to know this. Fathers, you need to know this. Fathers, you matter. Fathers, you are important. There is not a time where you are not important. There is not an age where you're not important to your children. Fathers, you are needed. Can we hear it for men of God that are great fathers? I want to apologize because church is usually a place where men come to get beat down for not being good enough, for being falling short. In all those duties, hey, we all fall short, and men, I think you matter and that you are highly needed, and you're called by God to do exactly what you're doing. So do not give up. Men, you are called to the high calling of fatherhood. And Scripture shows us throughout how important a father is. Can we talk about the history of fathers? Everyone say the history of fathers. Who is the first father in all of history? It's God, very good. When we read our Bible, we don't have to go very far. On the very first page, right? You get past the part where you write your name in and somehow you write marriages in there. Anybody have that in their Bible? And funerals? I mean, it's like once you get past that in the concordance, you get to Genesis 1. And on that page, God introduces himself as a father. He is the father of creation. He creates a man called Adam, and Adam is called the son of God. 
When you read in your New Testament, it calls Adam a son of God. Well, if he's a son of God, who's his father? God, God. God is father. And we are even taught to pray how? Jesus teaches us to pray in the first two words are our father who art in heaven. God is not just a father. God is our father. Can I get an amen on that? God is our father. Fatherhood is important. God is our father is essential importance. But the the history of fathers goes on. Who comes after God? But Adam. God creates Adam. And Adam's perfect. He never messes up. Wrong. Wrong. Adam sins. And Adam becomes a father. And the following also shows the essential importance of fatherhood. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So Bible scholars, with this verse up here, not taking it down, let's make sure we're understanding this verse. Sin entered through one man. Who is this one man? Adam, very good. Y'all get a gold star. Y'all did it. Adam is that one man. And God as our father, he brought life. To everything. Now Adam is our father because of sin. He brings death. You see the difference there. You ought to see the difference. Death through sin. Through one man. And now it's to all people. If that doesn't show you the importance of the father. Father what's going on in your heart. It ends up in your home. What's going on in your mind. It ends up in your home. The words that you say. It ends up in your children's. Their own mouths. And they will repeat what you say. Because it started with Adam, it spread to all people. Fathers, you're that important. You're that important. Father, why, why don't we get some prayer in our life today and let that spread? Let's get the word of God in us today and let that spread. Let's the, let the very spirit of God dwell in us and let that come to our homes today. So Adam has children, right? Can we name his first two children? Very good, Cain and Abel. And they were just perfect children. Never a problem, these children. No, no, not at all. Now, I want you to think real quick. Isn't fatherhood amazing? Raise your hand if you know fatherhood's amazing. Thank you. Imagine how it felt when Adam held his babies for the first time. Number one, he didn't know this was possible. Childbirth is already like this crazy, amazing thing. And no father seems prepared for that. but. Especially Adam wasn't prepared for that because it had never happened before. And imagine after this turmoil of childbirth, he holds this baby in his hands. He looks down at this baby. Like all fathers, Adam no doubt felt the challenge, the high calling, and the humble privilege of being the father of these two sons. And although Adam set out To be a good father, he passed on sin. And with sin came death. Very sadly, sin and death overtook Cain and Abel. And really in a single day, Adam loses both sons. In a single act, Adam ends up really losing both sons. One son kills another. And the son that killed, he really died that day too. And was an outcast thereon. It was a sad time. 
So we have to cross out these two names on our list. Guess what? Adam dies too. But Adam had another son. His name was Seth. Very good. Y'all are on it today. Seth also becomes a father and he has children. And those children grow up to be parents of their own. There's a pattern here. In fact, entire books of the Bible are written to chronicle the lineage of these fathers and children. And over and over in these books, it, it says something like this. Adam begat Seth. Seth begat Enos. Enos begat Canaan. And you read chapter after chapter, and it just says it over and over and over again. And sometimes you're like, what is this about? Why is that even in the Bible? Do we have to read this chapter? What is this all about? It is important because it shows how generations are important to God. It shows how fathers are important to God. And one by one, a new generation would be born. But one by one, an old generation would die. Adam died. Seth died. Enos died. And this phrase appears in your Bible to describe death. It says, they died and they slept with their fathers. Have you ever read that in your Bible? That they slept with their fathers. They died and slept with their fathers. Like their fathers before them died and were buried in the ground. Now they have died and they're buried in the earth along with every preceding father that died. Noah was a father and he was a righteous man. But what happened to him? He died. Abraham was a father. Oh man, there's wonderful things we can say about Abraham, but we can also say this about him. He died. Isaac and Jacob, they were fathers. They died also. Moses and David. Oh, everybody wants to be a Moses or a David until it comes to this, them dying. They died. Prophets, Elisha and Isaiah, they had no fear as they stood in front of people and they said things that were not very popular, but they were true and they said them out loud. But they succumbed to this very same death. They died as well. They've all slept with their fathers in the grave. The history of fathers continues on and on. People kept up with the history. In fact, today, many Hebrew, many Hebrew people today know the history of their fathers all the way back to Adam. Imagine that. It happens. Yes, you can, you can talk to some Jewish people that have a family history that blows ancestry.com all the way away. They can go all the way back to the first man, Adam. How can they do that? Because it matters that much to them. That's how. They're able to tell their fathers all the way back to Adam and all the way back then to God. How many find that amazing? That's amazing. And in the time of the New Testament, it would be rare for a Jew, like any Jew, not to know the history of their fathers. There would have to have been something that happened for them not to know about the history of their fathers. Like someone died at too young of an age or or they were stolen or or something happened for them not to know. Every Jew pretty much knew the history all the way back to Adam. And not only did they know it, they were teaching it to the next generation so that they would know it. It was extremely important to them. Why was it important? Because it showed them who they were. This is who you are. 
You're a child of Abraham. What's a child of Abraham? Well, the Jews believed that they were saved because their lineage from Abraham. Abraham had a covenant with God and we are the sons of Abraham. So we have that same covenant promise. And this land called Israel is promised to us. How do they know that? Because Abraham's their father. That's how they know that. The children of Levi, if you were a child of Levi, you knew exactly what your profession was. It was mapped out in front of you. You were going to be a priest. You were going to work in the temple of God. Why? Because Levi was your forefather. If you were children of Judah, you knew that you were in the line of kings, that your family was royalty. How did you know that? Because a man named Judah was your forefather. And It was great to be able to look back into your family line and to say that I'm a child after Moses. I'm a child after Aaron. To be a child at the lineage of a prophet like Jeremiah or Daniel or or a hero like Gideon, Barak, or Samson, that was a source of pride. The history of fathers was something that would always come up in conversation, no doubt. Today, we converse over certain things. When you meet somebody, you're trying to figure out who they are, what do you converse over? You say, hey, where do you work? What kind of job do you do? Anybody do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where are you from? Hey, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? What are your interests, right? These are the things that we ask. In the Hebrew world, that whole conversation of ours was all tied up in one question. Who's your daddy? Who is your father? Because that tells us everything about you. So imagine the surprise when the child born, the son given, Jesus Christ, who did not really have an earthly father, he walks up to a Hebrew named Nicodemus. And he says these words in John chapter 3. It's one of the most well-known conversations in all of the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus says these words. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, I don't know if Jesus knows this, but Jesus... That's not how the conversation's supposed to go. You're supposed to start with, hey, how you doing? Where you from? Do I know your people? Who's your father? That's how you're supposed to start. We are supposed to compare our family trees, Jesus. You're supposed to roll out your family tree, Jesus, and Nicodemus is going to roll out his family tree, and then you'll know everything about each other. You'll also know kind of who's better than the other. And our sense of worth comes from having a better lineage than the other guy. That's kind of how it was in the the eyes of these ancient Hebrews. And who was Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus was a power broker in the Hebrew community. He checked all the correct boxes when it came to his lineage. You could say he was bred for the very role that he was fulfilling. He was a Pharisee. That was a big deal. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. That was even a bigger deal. This means he was respected religious teacher and leader. He was 
very likely financially well off and he was very well educated. It also meant that he could probably quote his lineage all the way back to Adam and to God and he might could do it verbatim. Then Jesus walks up to him and he basically says, throw all of it away and start again. You must be born again. Your relationship with Abraham, that's so impressive. It's not enough. You must be born again. Your relationship with King David, that is so impressive. But it's not enough. You must be born again. Your father Moses is in your family tree. Whoa, respect. But it's not enough. You must be born again. The history of your fathers, I'm so glad you know it. But it's not enough. You need a new father. And Nicodemus was so hip to this idea. He was like, thank you, Jesus, for all of this. Not at all. It weirded him out because this wasn't how the conversation was go. And he had never heard of such a thing. John chapter 3 verse 4 says this. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. What are you talking about, Jesus? I'm an old dude. How am I going to be born again? And he's trying to figure it out. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Verse 5, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Nicodemus tried to understand how he could be born again. It is not physically possible to be born again. But Jesus, he doesn't back down. Jesus tells him that this is a spiritual birth and not a fleshly birth. The next verse, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The Hebrews had placed much of their value on the natural birth and bloodline. They believed, and they still believe today, that they are God's people because they can trace their lineage through Abraham. Till today, that's what they believe. But, but where, where had this family line actually gotten them? They knew it all, but what had it won them? What help really was it to them? Because this is what it brought them. It brought them the history of fathers. It brought them a dead Adam. It brought them a dead Cain, Abel, Seth, Enos, Canaan. They were all dead. It had given them a lot of funerals is what it had done. Congratulations, you win funerals. They had a graveyard full of fathers. Because of their father, Adam, it brought sin and death into the world. This family line, it never saved them. They they reached back to Abraham and said, Abraham's our father. We're all good. But it never saved them. Not even close. How do you know? Well, they were enslaved after Abraham. They were exiled after Abraham. They were war-torn, constantly in battle after Abraham. And at the very moment of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, 
Israel was under the control of a ruthless Roman emperor. The very emperor of Rome, Caesar, had his thumb on top of Israel at this very moment. They had this cherished family line, but they were still living midwinter, where it's dark, where it's cold, where it's lonely, where there is death. I think that we may have the same problem. We may point to people in our family and say, Grandma. I love to point to my grandma. I had, I feel sorry for everyone else because I did have the best grandma. But we like to point to our grandma and say, Grandma was a powerful prayer warrior and a devoted Christian. And it's like, is that supposed to save us? As wonderful as that is, Jesus says it is not enough to be able to point to a grandmother who prayed and a grandmother who was a Christian. You must be born again. Your relationship with a praying grandmother cannot deliver you from your midwinter. You may point to the long line of Christians on your family tree. We have always been Christians and we will always be Christians. I've heard that said in my own family. I remember going to see to visit my 100-year-old grand, great-aunt, Mabel Legg. I loved her to death. Me and my dad went and visited her. We were visiting in a nursing home. And as usual, we, we turned the conversation towards the Lord. And my dad was encouraging her faith. And I'll never forget, he's in the middle of trying to encourage her. And she cuts him off by saying, Clyde, we have always been Baptists. And no matter what you say, I will always be a Baptist. And I found that odd then. Can I tell you, I still find that odd today. It's a little odd. And I would just like to say what I wish I could have said to my Aunt Mabel that day. I wish I could say these words. We weren't trying to convert you, Aunt Mabel. We are very hopeful that you've already been here. We weren't trying to dissuade you. And we were also very proud of you, your Christian heritage that you brought into your life. Maybe you have a family tree like this. Like the Hebrew, you place much of your hope on your family history of belonging to a denomination. Maybe you have an official, we have always been fill in the blank and we will always be fill in the blank. If that's true, I, I'm not coming down on that today. I, I'm glad you've always been something. Don't give up on being a Christian, no matter what denomination it is. Y'all, y'all hold that line. But here is what I'm trying to teach you today, and I think it's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Although we're not trying to convert you to our denomination or dissuade you from yours today, I will tell you your family line is not enough. It's not enough to pull you out of midwinter. And it's not enough to take you to heaven. I echo the words of Jesus. Can somebody echo those words with me? You must be born again. Not born of a denomination. Born of water and born of spirit. Born of another father. The lineage of Nicodemus could not save him. And your lineage, it can't save you either. 
the original Christmas, going back to that original midwinter Christmas, the world had a broken relationship with God. It was broken. From the time of Adam onward, man had a broken relationship with God because of sin. Before sin, they were walking step in step with God. But now they're completely kicked out of the garden. Now they go long periods of time without ever hearing his voice. Now they're constantly rebelling against the times he has talked to them. That is where they are at the time of that original Christmas story. It did not matter that Nicodemus could trace his history through Abraham and always because it always led him back to Adam. This is why Jesus says, you must be born again. It does not matter how glorious or inglorious your family line is. It also always leads you back to a disobedient Adam as well. Every one of you trace back to an Adam when we are tracing back to our natural family heritage of fathers. It always leads us back to Adam. So what do we need? We need a new family history. In Isaiah 9, 6, I'm going to make you read it one more time. It tells us about this new family history. One more time, read it. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The child born, the son given will be called the everlasting father. Jesus offers us the new birth that he told Nicodemus about. And through this new birth, Jesus becomes our everlasting father. Through the new birth of the spirit, we gain a new family line. We get a new history of fathers. Through Jesus Christ. Somebody liked me. That was good. John chapter 14 verse 18. Says this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You look that in your Bible. It's got red letters on it. Because Jesus said it. The King James Version reads a little different. Maybe you're familiar with this one. It says I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. That word that's translated as comfortless and as orphans, it literally means this in the Greek, fatherless. I will not leave you fatherless, but I will come to you. Jesus says he will not leave us fatherless. And if you go read the context, Jesus is talking about being born again by the Spirit. He's talking about sending a comforter called the Holy Spirit into the hearts of men. He is talking about the Holy Spirit that will arrive after his ascension. It arrives in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 tells us this. It says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves. Aren't you glad about that? So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. What does Abba mean? It means daddy. 
it's like, it's like a childlike way to say father, whereas you would say father, it would be more like papa. It'd be that pet name. It would be that close relationship name that you have for your father. Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It is through the spirit. It is through the new birth that we are made children of a new father. Who is the one who gives us this new birth of the spirit? Who is it? Who is it? John the Baptist tells us. Maybe you don't know this. Learn something today. John the Baptist declares it is Jesus. He says it in Matthew 3.11. John the Baptist says these words. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Get this. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus. The child born. The son given. The everlasting father is the one who gives us the new birth of the spirit. When you are baptized in the water, a person, perhaps a pastor or minister, baptizes you in the water. Has anybody ever seen it? Excellent. I love that you've seen it. If you've never been baptized, I would love to baptize you. I'd love to give you a Bible study about it. I think it's wonderful. When you're baptized with the spirit, it's not a pastor that does it. It's not a minister that does it. It's not a really good worship team that does it. It's not your praying grandmother that does it. It is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself who baptizes you with his Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, it is a great honor to baptize someone in the water in the name of the Lord. I love to perform that good work and I'm always looking to baptize someone else in the water. But the honor of receiving a spirit baptism, that honor goes only to the Lord Jesus Christ. You receive that spirit only from one source, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're hung up on denominationalism. Can I tell you, the same Lord Jesus gives that spirit to Baptists, that he gives to Methodists, that he gives to Episcopalians, that he gives to Pentecostals. Is anybody happy about that? Clap your hands if you're happy about that. He doesn't withhold it from anyone. And we get it straight from the source. Ah, John chapter four, he shows up and he's sitting on a well. And the woman comes to the well and she's looking for water. And he's like, you need water? Oh, out of me comes everlasting water, a water of life. He's talking about the spirit. I want you to get this, that Jesus Christ is the source of that living water. What do you call the source of of water? You call it a well. What you have is a well sitting on a well. Jesus Christ, the well, the source of the living water is sitting on a natural well and you get to choose which one you draw from today. People are all over the place looking to quench their thirst by something natural. But Jesus Christ has come today and he has sat at the very well you've always gone to that has never quenched your thirst. And he says, today, why don't you try some living water? That's my everlasting father. That's the one who gives us his spirit. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of their innermost being will flow rivers 
of living water. What was he talking about? The very next tell, the very next verse tells us this. He was speaking of the Holy Spirit. It's water that flows out of Jesus and into you and then out of you into other people. What a wonderful thing. The honor of receiving a spirit baptism goes only to the Lord. So let's look back at the old history of fathers. This covenant is completely old. It's an old lineage model. And I want to tell you, your original father back here, God, you have to trace through all this death in order to get to him. In fact, your original earthly father is this guy. And none of us even know how to connect back him in our family tree. You don't know, right? Good luck trying to get back to that father. You have to trace back thousands of years to get to your great, 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 great grandfather, Adam. But Jesus Christ, he comes to us and he is our everlasting father. And do you know that he's also called the last Adam? The Bible in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the first Adam and it talks about the last Adam. And Jesus Christ, the everlasting father, is the last Adam. And so you don't have to trace back through hundreds of generations to get to our everlasting father. Because he gives us a new history of fathers, you connect directly. Let's get that new history up. We, you connect directly to the everlasting father. You right there, that's you. And you connect right to him. You right there, you connect Right to him. You're not connecting to anybody else. You're not connecting through a pastor. You're not connecting through somebody that's really uh, well known on social media. You're not connected through a praying grandmother. No, every one of us connect directly to this everlasting father. Jesus Christ is not an everlasting grandfather. He's not an everlasting great uncle. He is an everlasting father, which means you are an everlasting child of his. Jesus Christ is your direct source. The power of church is not that the church is your source. The power of church is that all together we plug in to our direct source. And his name is Jesus. The original Adam, his only hope is that he is going to be saved by connecting directly to the everlasting father, Jesus Christ. The very Adam, you will see him in heaven because now he is not that original father, but through the gospel and through faith, he connects to the everlasting father. Abraham is going to be saved by connecting directly to the everlasting father. King David, the very same thing can be said. Everyone on Nicodemus's family tree, if they are to be saved, it will be because they connect directly to Jesus. Not because they fulfilled the law. Not because they were deemed righteous. Not because they were better than the other person. Not because they had the right dads of earthly domain. But because they directly connect with the everlasting father. Jesus, 
the everlasting father, he looked at Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. You have direct access to the source of life. Because the everlasting father came to us that first Christmas. The lineage of earthly fathers, it's filled with graves. And it's filled with tombs. Every father on this history of fathers is dead and in the grave. Not this one. Let's get that other old one up right here. The old history of fathers, every one of them is dead and in the grave. By clinging to this history, you have no hope of avoiding the grave. Where is Nicodemus today? But he is in the grave. And this is because Adam, as our father, brought sin and death into the world. But when Jesus Christ is your everlasting father, you know you have a different kind of father. Do you know what everlasting father means? It means no more graves. It means no more graves. Adam's family line filled up cemeteries. But do you know Jesus, the everlasting father, he empties cemeteries. Jesus defeated death. He defeated hell and he defeated the grave. Jesus has never seen a grave that he can't empty. He is everlasting. That means he will never die. He is an everlasting father. That means his children will live forever. Everlasting. The everlasting father said this at a funeral for his friend, Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And he calls Lazarus out of that grave. I want to tell you, the everlasting father comes to us midwinter. Midwinter is a time of death. This world has experienced a lot of death. How much death? I want you to think real quick. There's over 7 billion people on the face of the planet right now. How many people in the history of this planet have died? Just think about that in your head. What is that number? They estimate. I don't know who they are. They're on the internet. They estimate over 100 billion people have died in the history of this planet. 100 billion multiplied this world by 10 and then killed them all. Still be be fall behind by about 300 million. 300 billion. You know what? You know what 100 billion looks like? It's, there are 11 zeros. That 11 zeros. The condition of the world at that first Christmas at that first Christmas was of a broken relationship from God. And that world was constantly dying. It was trying to live, but it always ended up in the grave, sleeping with its previous generation. Does this describe us? Are we midwinter? Are we in a time of death? Do you have a broken relationship with God? Is there a brokenness with you where you can't walk with God? Are you full of death? Are things dying all around you? Are things dying within you? Are the thoughts in you dead? Do you, you ever feel dead thoughts in your head? 
like they don't bring life at all. Have you ever found yourself saying dead things? Have you ever seen yourself doing dead things? What do I mean by dead things? Well, they aren't living. They aren't bringing you to life. A drug addiction is not bringing you life. Cheating on your wife, on your spouse, is not bringing you life. Your anger and your unforgiveness is not bringing you life. And even scientists will tell you all it will do is put you in an early grave. You're full of death. Are things dying around you and within you? I want to tell you today, Jesus, the everlasting Father, he comes to us individually and he offers us the opportunity to be born again. Have you been born again? You really need to know the answer to that question. If you haven't been born again, or if you don't know you've been born again, this is your moment. I want to talk to you today. I would love to talk to you in this altar. If you're too afraid to come to this altar, find a way to talk to me. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us, and have a blessed day.